All right, I guess I'll get started here. Um, for thanks for coming on this morning. A uh, couple of folks in the audience and anyone listening afterwards. Uh, this I'm, the, I'm Seth Partnow. This is the Call and Shot Saturday Q and A. Uh, as of right now, uh, I know uh, Yu Yang joined us last week and had a question that he was promising to lead off with today. And he, if he shows up, he can ask that one. But uh, in the absence of that, um, probably got a few things I can ramble about uh, this morning. Uh, the first one is I got I got a DM from someone asking a question. Is uh, basically why isn't Markeith Morris's injury being made a bigger deal of with respect to Nikola Jokic's season? And uh, full disclosure, this was by, uh, asked by someone in Milwaukee who is obviously uh, peeved about Grayson Allen thing. Um, I don't want to talk about the Jokic thing. Like Markeith Morris cheap shot at him first. That's why. Like it's it's a completely different thing. Um, I think that. Milwaukee as a fan base, as an organization has handled this Grayson Allen thing pretty poorly. Um, you know, it was a f- pretty obvious that's the intent of the excessive contact flagrant to foul rule. Like that's a, it's a, it's obviously now, whether it's a, just an ejection, like I think we saw, uh, we've seen a couple more of the foul on Kelly Oubre, uh, uh, not the next night, but but recently was was reasonably similar. Like it's a you know a very dangerous play on an airborne player, um, and it's it's an ejection, and it's kind of right on the line between a suspension and not. And it's a game, and it's a game in January, so not not who cares, but making this sort of a a persecution case. And, you know, the only reason we're still talking about the Grayson Allen incident, really, aside from people in Chicago who are rightly peeved that Alex Cruz is going to be out for a while, uh, is because, you know, Milwaukee keeps talking about it. Um, and just, why? Just let it let it go. It was a game. It happened. You know, yes, he, is, he, he has one incident in the pros. The rest of the stuff is from college. That's fine. Who cares? Um, he... Um, it, it's it's sort of uh, the, the stress end effect of of yelling loudly more loudly about something makes everyone notice it instead of it just we're we're not talking about it anymore if they just stop talking about it so uh, I'm going to stop talking about it too now um, the, another, the other thing I wanted to talk about and this is this is me being crotchety and annoyed um, is is the All Star starters um, you know uh, Andrew Wiggins ended up a starter and kind of whatever. Um, I think he's got a borderline all-star case at best, but the fans voted him and the system as designed is mainly designed to keep joke candidates out. And I think that, you know, wherever you want to draw the line between joke candidates and bad candidates, Wiggins is kind of above the line of being a joke. So it's like the system is working as an in- as intended. However, the weight, the weighting of the votes does illustrate, uh, Something that comes up occasionally in or or frequently in in basketball analytics, which is kind of the weighting of multiple measures, um, and what what the NBA is doing between you know weighting the uh, fan vote and the media vote and the player vote, it's it's uh, it's called in technical terms, it's called a board account, which is basically you add up the ordinal rankings and that comes to one score. And there's many situations in which that is a pretty reasonable way to kind of come up with a, a consensus ranking. Uh, for example, uh, I, I, I use this a lot uh, in, in draft prep when I was, I was in the Bucks front office, just as a, a quick way to get rough groupings of players on paper. Okay. Here's our, here's our, uh, here's our list of dudes. Um, 
everyone rank them, you know, one through 30. And then, you know, you kind of do that. And, and this is where kind of some, uh, some, some basic plotting, you do a, you do a ridge plot of, of all the ranks and if, uh, individual ranks. And it kind of, it kind of illustrates graphically pretty quickly where sort of some of the natural breaks are. So then you can, you can break the players up into tiers and discuss them more finely that way. And that just speeds the process rather than starting from a blank sheet of paper. Well, who's a, who's a tier one guy in this group? And then you end up with some people who think it's two names and some people who think it's nine. But that's really just arguing about definitions rather than, than who actually thinks what about a player. So that's a, like, that's a, that's a, a useful kind of quick um, uh, amalgam of, 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 of preferences way to do it um the way the nba is doing it is less good just because we're we're the reason why and the reason why this kind of 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 uh, blended metric of just adding the ranks of of various uh advanced stats together doesn't work um is because it's completely ignoring magnitude um and the example i used is wiggins got four media votes we can talk about like who those people were and you know, show yourself. Um, that's, that's, I, 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 I can't fathom thinking that Andrew Wiggins has been one of the three best front court players in the Western Conference this year. Like, I, I don't, I don't know how you get there. I mean, how many, like, how many voters are officially attached to the Warriors organization? That's the only thing I can think of. Um, and that's less than four. So what, whoever the, the other two or three of you are, what are you doing? So it's a, it, so there's four votes for, for Wiggins. Um, from from the media side, uh, and just the way it works is basically like last place zero votes, all ties for one point total. In this case, I think eight players got media votes in the Western Front Court. So everyone else got a nine. The person who got one vote got eight. Person who got two votes or three votes got seven. Wiggins got four votes, so his six. So just in terms of the point system to separate players, um, those four votes were worth three. So Wiggins had 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 four vote four votes worth three points. Um, Jokic and LeBron James got ninety eight votes uh, that were each worth effectively since they got a one because they were tied for first. They got a one, so that's eight points. So if you, I mean you know quick math, that's that means every vote for Wiggins was nine times more quote quote unquote valuable in terms of getting him to start the All Star game than it was for the other two starters, and that's that's just like it, that's that. You know, it's a trivial example in the in the context of of uh, you know all star starters. It's ultimately who cares. But if we're if we're talking about you know okay, we're going to average Rapham and LeBron and EPM and okay, this this player is first in this and seventh in that and 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 fifth in in this one. Well, if if he's first in 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 the one metric, but he's by like point oh one. Um, and he like, and the, the difference between the seventh place and the sixth place is, is like 0.75 points per possession or something like that. Those gaps are being traded the same thing, even though that's like two or three orders of magnitude of difference in terms of the amount of space between the two and just taking the ordinal ranks flattens that. And it, it really, um, obscures, uh, real differences between how a, how in this case, a metric uh, I mean, you can view it as a vote. You know, it's like um, the preference for you know Doncic and and not Doncic, uh, Jokic and LeBron and a few others was uh, over Wiggins among media was like massively larger than the the you know the 
gap in the 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 sort of the weighted point system. So um, that's something to sort of keep in mind when you either when you're thinking about um, you know bases like do these blended metrics or or you're thinking about how you would well he, this, the, he's he's first in this metric and sixth in that, this metric and third in that metric. Let's just average it out um, and why that might not be a bad idea. Um, there's any number of other ways to, to, to do it. I mean, you, you like the, the NBA is probably not interested in doing like Z scores or anything like that. So that's, that's fine. But for actual like analytics work, uh, looking at a blended metric, some kind of scaling system, um, would be necessary. Um, let me see what else. Uh, so those are, those are the two rantish things that I got this week. Um, what I continue on, if you if you heard uh, us on Nerder yesterday, um, um, Mo and Dave and I all collectively went off on a fairly sizable rant about the Knicks, um, and you know they played in Milwaukee last night. I did not go to the game because it was a nine p.m. start time local, uh, and it was since it was a, a kind of a ref show, um, it finished at like eleven forty local. Um, it's, uh, like, you know, read the room a little guys. Um, this is, might be a, this might be a nine, 9 PM local start might be a game to let them play a little bit, to let some things go. Let's, let's, let's get out. Let's get the, through this, you know, make the strike zone a little bigger. Cause we got, we, you know, I, I'm, I, I feel, I feel bad for, uh, for my guy, Eric name, who probably was at the arena till uh, 2 AM doing post game stuff last night. Um, again, that was completely unnecessary, uh, but the, the Knicks, so, um, they are they are immensely frustrating right now because it's it's a definition of insanity kind of thing, where they are doing the same things over and over again. And this is like I don't want to be like too much into lineups and okay, Tibbs isn't playing the young guys and he's riding the starters and playing you know guys more than he should. Like okay, that's that's a given. We 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 know that that's that's what he does. Um, it's more there. Offensive concept is very like beating head against brick wall over and over. And we saw this in the playoffs last year and we're seeing it now in the regular season this year. There's nothing that happens quickly. There's nothing that happens easily. It's a lot of, of, of one action ball stops probe probe, maybe one more action ball stops probe probe. And I think that's, you know, the biggest reason why Julius Randle has, has, has really struggled this year is he's not doing anything quickly. Like there's, there's one play last night where he actually like he, he, he kind of caught the ball already on the move and kept and got a straight line drive to the basket for a layup. I think that was his first bucket of the game in the second quarter. Um, and like, that's the kind of thing he just, it was, it was like, Oh, wow. He can do that. Like it, it's an easy way to get, it's a way to get some easy shots occasionally instead of, catch the ball, survey, dribble, dribble, survey, dribble, dribble, step back, shoot. Especially if you're, if it's kind of not happening for you right now, like, you know, the, the, um, I don't, I don't buy the take a step in, get an easier look kind of thing. Um, because just because the, the step in isn't actually the one step in from the three point line isn't actually an easier look generally speaking. Um, but I do subscribe to the notion that if you're not shooting the ball, well, like yeah, getting seeing the ball go through the basket on something helps. So get a layup, get to the foul line, and those things happen much more when you go quickly. Than and I'm not saying like be in a rush or out of control, but make a decision quickly. This is 
the biggest thing that when uh, Monty Williams got to Sac- uh, Phoenix, Sacramento, got to Phoenix, the biggest thing he did to improve Devin Booker's game was really emphasize the notion of point fiving. And if if you don't know, point fiving is make a decision what you're doing with the ball in half a second. Shoot, like you know, shoot, drive, pass, whichever. Kind of at, almost don't care which. Just do one of them in half a second. Um. And especially as the talent around him in, improved and he's played with, you know, first Ricky Rubio and now Chris Paul, some, some very good point guards who can, or, you know, historically great point guards in the case of Chris Paul, who can get him the ball in spots like, okay, you have the ball in the spot, do something. Um, take advantage of the advantage. Um, and that's something the Knicks don't do. And also because they don't go quickly, they don't create advantages to take advantage of. So everything is very station to station. And yeah, if Evan Fournier tosses in some tough jumpers, he'll have a nice night. If, if you know, last year, Julius Randle tossed in tough jumpers all year. So he had a great season. But now he's still, all he's getting is tough jumpers and he's not shooting as well. And it's, it's we've, we've seen what that is. Um, and part of the reason that's, that, that is frustrating, this is getting back to the lineup, is there are guys on the team who do play with a little bit of zip. Um, you know, Quentin Grimes is not an elaborate player, but he, he, he will make a decision quickly. Um, also he's, he might be the only wing guy on their team who is a, both a reliable shooter and a good defender. Um, that seems like someone you want to play more. Um, you know, uh, I, I mentioned Eric name, the Bucks beat writer for the athletic. He, he has a running bit where, um, uh, every time, you know, Chris Middleton has this thing where he gets like you know, wing-sized players in, in, in kind of the mid-post, does a little dream shake, fadeaway jumper, drops in and over them, and, and Eric has a thing for the first time that happens every game. He, uh, you know, Chris Middleton to, in, in last night it was Alec Burks. It's, uh, it's a too small gift from, uh, from I think you should leave. Um, and, you know, he, he got Alec Burks in that last night. He tried that move on Quentin Grimes, and this is not something you see that often. Quentin Grimes, like, uh, ate up the airspace and, like, blocked the shot in, in Middleton's hands. It's like, he's, he's been a really solid rookie. Um, a, a, a quote unquote hot take from, from a friend of mine was he thinks that, uh, Grimes is, is the, is going to be the best of all the next young players. I don't think that's a remotely hot take. I think that, that, like, uh, everything about him suggests, he is going to be a, a, I don't say, suggests he has a chance to be a very good kind of high level role player. Um, the, the way this person put it to me, I think was good. It, it is accurate is that, um, RJ Barrett, who is probably considered to be the Knicks best prospect has to be great to be good for the way he wants to play. Quentin Grimes just has to be good to be good. And what I mean by that is, is sort of the, the on ball creator, like, Doing that average isn't actually that valuable on a good team, uh, at least not at volume. It's, it's, it's useful to have like your secondary and, and tertiary players be able to do that in a pinch. This was you know, sort of an underrated thing about kind of the first iteration of the Warriors championship teams is there's a lot of guys who, you know, the ball ends up in Andre Iguodala or, or Sean Livington's hand at the end of the clock. They can do something with it. It's not, you know, it's not great, but it's not. You know, it's not a flaming bag that ends up in, in I don't know, um, like Mitchell. Like for, looking at the Knicks, that like like the ball ends up in Nerlens Noel's hands. 
at the top of the key with two seconds on the shot clock. Like that's, that's just not going to, that's not going to end well, or even four seconds on the shot clock. That's not, you're not going to get something good from that. Whereas, you know, these, these, these other guys who have that sort of average on ball creation skill can get you at least something good. So that's useful, but um, it's not something that is actually super high value in high volume. So for a player to be good, they need not just kind of average-ish on-ball shot creation, but other things too. And that's sort of the thing where the certain player types do get overrated because they have a little bit of that ability, but not enough. And I think to some degree that's where the, the disconnect on between me and some other people on, on this more optimistic people on RJ Barrett comes in is I like I you know he had 20 some last night but he was six for 20 and that's sort of regular but anyway but the thing I want to talk about is the Knicks playing with a little more zip and that's you know that's Clinton Grimes that's Obi Toppin that's at times Emmanuel quickly those guys come in and they just they 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 have more movement the ball moves the player moves they get they get more looks in transition Obi Toppin gets easy baskets by moving off the ball um and then they those guys play 18 minutes. And that's I think like putting myself in the standpoint of uh of of, of a Knicks fan, uh that's incredibly frustrating. Um and you know, I'm not a Knicks fan, so I can't imagine what, you know, uh Knicks fans themselves uh feel like. Um what else did I want to talk about this week? It's been it's it's the season is kind of bubbling along. Um I you know, I I wrote an article at the athletic this week, just uh, it, it was a little bit eye opening actually, just how demonstrable kind of the Omicron wave was across the NBA. Um, uh, if you, if you have a subscription to the, to the athletic, I, you know, go read it. If not, I, I kind of, I've tweeted out a couple of the, of the charts from it, just like illustrating the uh, frequency of, of kind of n- quote unquote non-rotation players getting minutes like early this season compared to early in other seasons. Um, and you said the last two years, which were both like COVID impacted. Um, oh, you Yang's here. I'll, I'll finish this list a little bit. And then he can, he can, he can, he can hit me with his question from last week, which I forgot what it was, but I'm sure I, I remember it being good. So um, we're like, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that, but no. Um, so in, in the last two years, the last two kind of COVID impacted years, you kind of saw, Earlier in the season, kind of the the dispersion of minutes kind of pick up, um, and and that 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 probably something to do with with uh, health and safety issues. This year, kind of starting in you know you can you can see it actually starting maybe mid to late November, um, the proportion of minutes given to like like not top eight ish in rotation kind of guys skyrocketed. Like it was basically for that point in the season, it peaked and it peaked kind of mm, Christmas ish, maybe a little bit earlier at roughly double the percentage of, of overall minutes going to like those players than would be normal at this point in the season. Like he was reaching like the kind of thing you see in like the last five days of the season when the tanking teams are super tanking and the, the playoff teams are, are maybe resting guys. Um, and so that's, it's, you kind of see the same, the, the same kind of um, very sharp peak and quick drop off that kind of seen other epidemiological data and I thought that was that was interesting but the other interesting thing that came out of that was 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 uh, um, noting that um, you know something I've, I've referred to in the past as fake games which are the the uh, games where one or both teams isn't really like focused on winning anymore um, 
and that's you know you can call it player development you can you can call um you know getting a look at young guys you can call it tanking whatever you want to do like uh you know they're they're, they're tank developing their young players shall we say um that usually starts right around now in a season um if you you look at you you can if you divide like the the uh nba teams into like kind of rough levels of team um both kind of top middle and bottom third teams um, play it pretty straight. They play, you know, in a normal season, they give 80-ish percent of their minutes to their top eight guys. And, but right around now, right around it's, uh, you know, 100-ish days into the season, 100-ish game days into the season, is where, like, those middle and upper tier teams are still playing it straight. They're still giving 80%-ish minutes to their to their top guys. Uh, now is when the, the bottom third teams actually start to escalate reasonably quickly the amount of minutes they're giving to other guys. So this is kind of the start of the season where we need to, well, I mean, this year, again, we've, we've kind of got the weirdness of, of, of the, 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 coma, uh, the, the, the Omicron surge uh, in the past where, you know, there were games which, you know, given just looking at lineups, I would have referred to as kind of fake games in the past. But now is kind of, we have to be on the lookout for um, games where we should maybe discount the result a little bit. Or, or kind of stats put up a little bit because it's, you know, one team is playing their NBA um, rotation and the, and the other team is is, is perhaps started to take Vallop. Um, so uh, that's, again, just something to, to look forward to. And that's only going to accelerate, especially after we hit the trade deadline. Um, uh, Yu Yang, I, I, I see you here. Do you remember your question last week? I'm going to ask you to come on up and, uh, and hit me with it because I thought it was a good topic. Hi, Seth. Hey, pretty good, pretty good. Um, I just I just came on the show, so I missed the first couple minutes. Um, yeah, the question I had last week uh, was uh, about defensive metrics. And the funny thing is, after I made that comment, I thought I saw an article at ESPN, but I didn't really read it because I just didn't have the time. But they did talk about, I think, uh, something some kind of metric ranking like the best defensive players using some kind of defensive metric. And just so I can summarize the question again, um, do you think like uh, in the next five to 10 years, we're going to get some kind of um, consensus or some kind of established defensive metric that's going to say, okay, Gobert is a 5.5, you know, some kind of objective number. And then some other center is 5.0. And that's why Gobert is a better center than the other person. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? Um, so first of all, I don't think like an objective number. No, I don't think we're ever going to uh, get to that. Um, I read a, I read a, a, a medium article and I forget the gentleman's name, um, but I'll search for it because I, I, I tweeted it out last week. Um, who did a better job of kind of explaining, um, the difference between subjective and objective metrics, um, and the fact that basically, like nothing that we refer to as a metric is is actually objective. Um, you know, you say like you know you talk about that like literally what that would say if if Gobert if if this metric said the only the only like non interpretable thing that 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 metric would say is that metric says Gobert is plus five point five point five per hundred. Um, the next step of what that means relative to anything. That's that's analysis. That's that is that is subjective. That's I think that is important and means this because X, Y, and Z. Now, some of those metrics are are I, I can you know well as predictive power and blah blah blah. So therefore, I think it's pretty accurate and does a pretty good job of saying he's there. But that's but that's all analysis. That's not that's not intrinsic to that metric. So I like right, right. the 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 
the, like, you know, I, I like to be like, I'm, I'm, I'm probably not even the best person to be super picky about like statistical nomenclature, but like just the notion of like the, that any of these are objective measures, like points are an objective measure. Well, your win loss record is an objective measure. Those things happen. What any interpretation of what they mean is now we're, we're outside of like pure objectivity. Um, so right, right. that said, I, I, like that's that, 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 yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's sort of picking nits. Um, I mean, the, the, so the, the hard part is like we're getting pretty, we're getting decently good at off, like measuring offensive impact because now we, okay, this player did X, team did Y, player had this much impact. Pretty good estimate. Um, the problem is defense isn't the inverse of that. Um, because it's, you're, if you're, if you're seeing, you know, you're almost you're 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 measuring what happened as a bystander. If you're just taking the inverse of that, what did the offense do? Well, I, as a like being an impactful defender is 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 sort of changing what the offense does in the first place. So I have to know more about what the offense could have actually done to then like make strong like inferences. Like you get you know you can do these impact metrics you know like RAPM or or even more blended metrics that have statistical priors that can sort of show some correlations that like, okay, controlling for everything else, the jazz are three points better defensively with Gobert on the floor. Right. Like, like, you know, controlling for opponents and, and maybe some like garbage time and, and who he's playing with, but to get to how, which is, I think where you're, you're talking about in terms of a really, of a metric that we really feel comfortable with using to, to more accurately rank as much as I hate ranks, uh, but more accurately rank players. I think we need to know a lot more about what those decisions the offense had could have been. And then what they did when that player is sort of either on the floor or kind of primarily involved in the action or whatever. Um, And I don't think we're, we haven't gotten to the point of evaluating offensive decision-making on that level. So we, since we haven't evaluated offensive decision making on that level, we aren't at the point of being able to, you know, tease out how either individually or collectively defenders affect that decision making. And then there's, right, all, and right. then, and then that helps us, you know. Then if we have, if we know that, then like maybe stuff like, um, you know, field goal percentage allowed has the, enough context that we could use it. Um, like that's a. Like I'm probably ranted about it here, but I've definitely done so on Twitter. Uh, is that you know defensive field goal percentage allowed is a is is not a is a you know the the objective version of the stat is that's what opponent shot when he was close. Uh, the like the leap that's made is therefore this player is good slash bad defensively. And you know I think for all the reasons I just kind of mentioned, as not to mention just kind of like sample size variance, like that's a pretty terrible measure of how well that player defended, you know? So, right. Um, is it, does that answer your question? Oh, no. It, you know, you, you brought up something that made me think about something else, actually. Uh, so it, I don't know if I'm uh, mis- mischaracterizing what you just said, but um, you, I think you were saying something yeah. about how with, with offense, um, it's like the offense initiates kind of the action, right? So, like, let's yeah. just say – this yes. is my words, right? So uh, the initiated action. So there's something objective, like a point or – a shooting percentage or something, right? And then, in a sense, the defense is reacting to that. 
So that puts an extra layer mm-hmm. uh, that makes it harder to put a, a objective measure. Is that, did I did I kind of get that sort of sort of right? Or yeah, like maybe half right. Yeah, like yeah, like are you a better defender because you're you're playing against dumber offensive players? Right, right, <laughs> you know what right, I mean? Right, 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 like right, that's right. that that's that that's right, right. I mean that to 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 boil it down. I think that's what we're you know you know, there's a lot of things you can look at, like, you know, defensive production, like if you wanted to do like an inverted box score, like what did the person, this player was guarding do? Did they have, they had 17 points and and nine rebounds and three assists. Well, okay. If I'm guarding, um, you know, if I'm guarding John Morant and that's, that that's for a whole game. Uh, and that's the inverse, the kind of the quote unquote inverse stat line. I think I did great. If I'm guarding Ish Smith, I did terribly. Um, right. And so it's just that that sort of thing is completely invisible. And um, there is actually a pretty decent range between players um, in terms of of that sort of difficulty. And that's just, you know, that's just even the most basic, um, you know, one on one matchup, which actually doesn't describe how NBA defense is played very well anyway. So gotcha. gotcha. Yeah. You know, you know, I'll just end on this because um, just a kind of one second sure. question related to this. Um so, do, but do you think um, this is just an opinion question? But do you think statistics is even good for discussion? And, I, and I'll give you an example, right? So, part of the criticism towards baseball, and I've heard this kind of from a few different sources, that the baseball statistics is so sophisticated now that there's just really not a lot of argument left for like who's a good, who's a better player. Like it's just like kind of like consensus that like Mike Trout is just the, the greatest baseball hitter of all time, right? Because of the statistics. If basketball got to that, re- that level of like you know um, maybe sophistication, like do you think that would enhance basketball discussions or make it make it worse? Because then there's no discussions. Like we know X is the best because of the number. What do you think about that? No, I think I, I no, I, I think there's there's I think there's something to that. Um, I am not remotely worried <laughs> that, that we're getting there anytime soon for basketball. Um, you know, it's it's so like. You know, baseball is, um, in part, baseball is there because the nature of the game allows for very uh, discrete analysis, and they're blessed with having, you know, a century of actually pretty good event data. And then on top of that, they've they now have like a decade plus of of pretty of of very good tracking data, uh, and so it's just the amount you 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 apply that kind of context and that historical lens uh, and that, that degree of, of kind of knowledge of what's happened. Also, you know, the 162 game sample size, um, that just allows for a lot, a lot higher percentage of understanding of the game than, than any other sport has been able to reach. Um, And that's, you know, is that good? Is that bad? I don't know. Um, I think that, you know, the, yeah, well, no, I mean, I think that, I think that I agree with the consensus that the way major league baseball played now is not super fan awesome, (laughs) but that's, I don't like, I think, I think blaming that on the metrics is proving too much. Um, I think it's, it's, you know, the rule set has to evolve to deal with the way the game is played. Um, You know, I'm reading Chris Herring's book right now and everyone read it. It's great. It's absolutely, it's fabulous. Um, uh, his, his, his Nick's history. Um, oh, okay. And okay. he, you know, he, but he's, he, when he talks about it, he notes that like the, the way the NBA game, 
the rules of the NBA changed in response to how the Knicks played because the league didn't want everyone to play the way the Knicks did because they thought it was ugly. Um, and I, you know, I support that. I agree with that. Um, but that's, that's sort of, um, that's a, that's a style that that's because of a stylistic choice of how the game was played. Now that that stylistic choice was based more in kind of like psychology and toughness and and you know Pat Riley being a being a you know a crazy person and there's some amazing Pat Riley stories in the, in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's but being and also including him kind of uh, being on the forerunner of of some analytic stuff as well. Um, but no, they changed they they changed the rules to make it a more appealing aesthetic product and right. so i think right. that's where baseball's sort of fallen down it's like oh well they're this is the best way to play and they're playing that way well you change the rules the best way to play changes you know that's that's sort of one of the the key parts of of the title chapter of of, of the mid-range theory is that it's not just like 3 is greater than 2 it's also like the nba changed some rules that made posting up harder so yeah. yeah, let's face the basket, play pick and roll, and now everyone's facing the basket and shooting threes. And that's that's part of it. Like yes, the 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 math was part of it, but it's also the rules, and the rules change the math as well. Like if if a player could, you know, w- there would be more players who could post up efficiently now under the old illegal defense rules, where you couldn't like sort of half double team. You couldn't like you'd either have to double yeah. team or not. Um. So yeah. That I mean, so that yeah. you know, that affects the math of why you know spread pick and roll is more efficient for unless you have Jokic or Embiid. So that's right. Um, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the legal defense, like, um, I, I'm I'm kind of um, a torn of if it's actually a good rule or bad rule, you know, because there's there's this trade off. Like, uh, like I thought the legal defense really hurt, uh, like Shaq, because like they they I think the legal they got rid of it um, around 2003 or 2004. And and if you see see Shaq's career, that's when it kind of dramatically changed too, like how how dominant it was in the little post. I don't think it mattered <laughs> for Shaq. I think <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, I yeah. think his I think his, his his decline kind of it was. I mean he, he I mean his decline was more was more. Um, yeah. He started to get hurt a little bit and got a little older. Yeah. And enormous man started to pick up like little little <laughs> injuries and like and he was still like on a per minute basis pretty dominant. Yeah. For a, for a while longer, but like he just couldn't play a number of minutes, and eventually, That's like true. you know, by the time he got to like the Cavs and Celtics, it just like wasn't wasn't even the same per minute. So right. anyway, thanks thanks well, for remembering yeah, the question, you, and bringing you. it back. I uh, I gotta I gotta wrap up here. I am absolutely. Who am I talking to this week? Um, thanks a lot, Yang. Um, th- thanks for listening, folks who either listened uh, live or after the fact. Um, who am I talking to coming up this week? Uh, do, 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 oh, talking on uh, Sarah Todd, uh, who's a wonderful beat writer for the Jazz. We're going to talk Jazz. We're going to talk, talk a lot about Rudy Gobert. Uh, uh, talking some Pelicans later in the week with Shamadua. And then uh, end of the week, I got uh, Nate Duncan coming on. Um, to talk trade deadline and cap, cap, caponomics and all that, uh, all that fun stuff. So, uh, thanks for listening and I will talk to you all again on Tuesday.